Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the trans healthcare episode. Welcome to our guest, Lucy Fielding. You can find Lucy on lucyfielding.com or on Instagram at sexbeyondbinaries. Lucy is the author of Trans Sex, Clinical Approaches to Transsexualities and Erotic Embodiments. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. Like I said earlier before we started, I should have reached out. I, I was kicking myself for not reaching out a year ago, and I'm so happy to have you here. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here, and I love your pod. So you're a therapist, you're a sex educator, and a writer. Yeah. So what else describes you? Oh gosh. Um, kinky, <laughs> polyamorous, leather dyke, um, mommy of the kinky variety. <laughs> um Gosh, what else? Um, That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Partner. Oh, partner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. How many yeah. partners do you have at this time, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, two. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, I have one. I'm, I'm doing the monogamy thing again these days, and it's fitting me quite nicely, but uh, I'm always curious about, you know, obviously, we're always curious about other people's lives. That's why we podcast. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, well, right. and why I'm a therapist. I mean, we're we're just kind of nosy people have you ever been out to dinner with one like <laughs> we're like looking we're we're listening to everything i'm like looking around and being like okay they're playing footsie under the table they're <laughs> yeah uh my therapist i asked her at one point because i understand why you don't want clients going into your personal lives i oh, totally gosh, understand yeah. but after like eight or so years together i was like were you like kind of like the goth weirdo in high school that was into like dark shit and she's like oh yes why do you think I'm a therapist she's like I love that shit <laughs> she's like tell me your secrets uh so why did you write the book so I think a lot of great things come out of a clarifying anger and um mm. and I think for me it was that I was occupying this um, strange position of pursuing, um, you know, an exploration of gender. Some might call it a, a transition. And at the same time, I was training to be a therapist. And so I am seeing, um, I'm seeing the experience of gender affirming care, so-called gender affirming care from either side of the couch. And I'm seeing, you know, the ways that, you know, therapists are trained around talking about sex, around talking about working with gender. I'm seeing, I'm having interactions with medical professionals. I'm hearing things that are unnuanced or just like plain behind the times and wrong. Um, like a lot of stuff about mm. libido and drive and you know and not really thinking about like how is all this landing with a client you know because from what i was hearing um you know and and i'm the kind of person you know it's like after my um 
I had a top surgery, a breast augmentation surgery. And me too. Oh yeah, it's 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 great. It's one of the yeah. most gender pleasurable things that I've I've ever done for myself. I like and, feeling my boobs on the side of my arms. What about you? Oh, oh, yes. Yes. And I love the way that I move, you know, like I mm. I do aerial silks and mm-hmm. like I love how my you know, center of gravity changed. It was it was wonderful. Mm. Um mm. um but you know, my poor surgeon, you know, it's like, I'm asking him questions. Well, I have, I have a friend coming, we're going to play. Um, when, where can I receive impact on my chest? Yeah. <laughs> when can I hit these things around? Uh, yeah. Oh so what did they say? Oh, um, they gave me a couple of weeks and, you know, and they said, well, you know, yeah. you can do like a chest harness, but, you know, make sure that, you know, like you're avoiding the scars. It's like, fine, great. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but like, um, I'm so to the book. <laughs> yeah, but I, the book. I'm the person who asks those questions. Yeah, you know, whereas yeah. like a lot of clients and patients don't feel that they are Im- empowered to or or even know to ask some of the questions of of their providers, or it just doesn't feel um very safe and. And a lot of what has been written about transsexualities, um, you know, is from this very like um, risk-centered framework and this and very function-based. And so, hmm. and whenever we're talking about function and sexual function, we're there's always um, you know the discussion of sexual dysfunction, and dysfunction hmm. and function are often defined by these very cis heteronormative um ideas mm-hmm. of what sex is and what mm-hmm. what our body parts are for and what they're supposed to do and what the meaning is that we attach to them and so mm-hmm. like writing the book came out of this place of i don't want you know clients and patients ever having a moment where they're wondering like Am I going to be lovable? Am I going to be fuckable? Mm-hmm. Am I, um, you know, is, you know, what is what is pleasure going to feel like in in this body? Mm-hmm. Um, I I know that there will always be clients and patients who will be be coming in with those questions, but I really. I really wanted to make things better and and to make it mm. about pleasure and desire and and gosh, you know, like really championing queer and trans folks, mm-hmm. we are freaking ingenious when it comes to, you know, like our understandings of the erotic and how to interact with our bodies. And we know our bodies really, really well. Um, and, you know, a lot of what is produced for us is not for us. Um, we're extrapolating from cis or cis straight experiencing. Um, and, you know, that's another thing I wanted to um, to nip in the bud. You know, I, I wanted something for us, by us. So not characterized by 
by some cis person who's just trying to decide what it means to be trans. I want that to uh, be something I remember. Maybe that'll be my next tattoo, a clarifying anger you said you felt, you were moved. Uh So what I'm hearing is you going through the clinician professional route gave you the ability to know how to talk to your providers in your personal life and to advocate Mm -hmm. for yourself. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and to really want to, to make it possible that, that like, you know, providers were just approaching clients and patients from a place that's less shitty, that's more ethical, that's more pleasure centered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank you for your work. Yeah. Thank I you. I would love for you to explain what psychodynamic psychotherapy <laughs> is. Um, so, um, basically it emerges out of psychoanalytic, um, psychotherapy, um, and psychoanalysis. So it's, um, it's basically therapy that is psychoanalysis, you know, emerging from, from Freud and others is, was like, you know, designed to be an intensive therapy process, you know, three to five days a week. And that doesn't work for a lot of folks and insurance won't pay for that. And, you know, for, for folks who um, are using insurance um, and, and have access to it, you know, and, um, and so psychodynamic psychotherapy uses some of the insights um, from um, psychoanalytic theory. Um, so, you know, discussions of of conflict, of defenses, of um, the psyche and and its vicissitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a fun word. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, and, and you know, like personally as a therapist, I'm I'm what I would call an integrative therapist. So you know, basically, it's. Mm whatever is working for a particular client and actually my happy place is more of a somatic psychotherapy and more that is about analyses of power and Mm. um i'm a kinky femme and so like i'm i'm always about like let's interrogate power let's really Mm -hmm. reveal what kind of power dynamics are at play in this space um yeah so somatic relating to the body. Mm-hmm. So might that relate to like body awareness during conflict or how to have body awareness to manage conflict or direct conversation? Does that have anything to do with it? It can. It absolutely can. It's about that body awareness. It's also about recognizing that the body has a ton of wisdom in it and that we make this artificial d- distinction between psyche and soma so the the mind and the body and it's something that you know that originates in like ancient greek philosophy and you know and and we're still kind of saddled with that that binary and whereas somatic psychotherapy Mm -hmm. says like you know what we're going through is is the body about feeling, about sensation and movement. Mm -hmm. I want to paint a picture for people so that we can kind of tie some more things together. So in terms of sexuality Mm -hmm. or trauma or healing, 
or gender roles. Um, I would use the example. So like my somatic awareness would mean where do I stand or sit in relation to the Mm -hmm. person I'm interacting with? So if I want them to feel more comfortable, I might, I would sit next to them. So like an even distribution of power. But if I know they want me to dominate them, I'm going to be maybe over them. Yeah. And, and also it might be, um, about finding yes in the body, finding no in the body. What does that feel like? What does pleasure feel like in the body? I think we assume, um, as sexuality professionals, a lot of the time, um, you know, that folks know what pleasure feels like or what wanting feels like in the body and somatic psychotherapies Mm. and, and methodologies are about really bringing the body into the conversation and, and saying, you know, um, Mm. that part of that awareness is knowing this is what feels good. Yes. Feels like this is what feels bad. No feels like not Mm. so that I can judge it. Not so I can explain it away, but that I can really say, mm, I am going to be in my no. I'm going to really be in my yes. Um, mm-hmm. I know, you know, mm-hmm. what is going on in my body that I'm feeling activated, that I'm feeling excited. I'm locating that. I can try to find ways to, to soften and and um and you know what what do i need to do in order to build trust with my body or mm. what does my partner um need for me to build trust with their body mm. Mm. okay that makes sense i want to try a fun little exercise uh for cool. folks yeah folks that might want to follow along so this is what comes to mind for me i remember this from a a, a different training receiving this example so um everyone listening, feel free to look at yourself in the mirror if you would like to, but so nod your head up and down and say the word no, no. Okay. Now shake your head back and forth side to side and say, yes, yes. Does that feel weird for any of us? Mm -hmm. It feels weird for me. And personally, what I noticed, I notice this every time, I have an easier time shaking my head in affirmation, but saying no. And I think it's because our culture raises us to be more agreeable, even when it goes in opposition of what we don't want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I definitely feel weird shaking my head in the backwards and saying yes. Uh, yeah. So feel free to try that one on for size. What kind of feedback do you hear from readers, followers, listeners of your work? I've been so heartened by what I've what I've heard. I mean, I'm sure that there are people who vehemently disagree or dislike it. Um, what I'm, you know, or, or things that um, that I'm saying, and in part, like I'm, I'm so here for that because I I want folks to like. I'm trying to start a conversation, not trying to end it you know, and I'm not aiming to be the be all end all on this topic. There's going to be things that I miss because of my social location. You know, like I want someone else to pick up, you know, who's saying like, you know, you miss this, this place. And, and I want to help that person 
um, you know, like make sure that their voice is heard. Um, if I can help them have their voice be, be heard, then I want to help them get their foot in the door for that because I want the conversation mm -hmm. to continue well past me. But, mm -hmm. you know, some of the things that I get, um, you know, people are like, you know, I've, I feel so seen by this. It feels so good mm. for, you know, this to be coming from a trans person, you know, and not just another cis person telling me how I should feel about something. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I love that it's so pleasure centered. Um, I love that you're not, you know, just focusing on, you know, what a, a friend of mine, um, calls the death and oppression narrative, which is, you know, it's this idea that like, mm. you know, um, and, and I hear it on like all, all kinds of podcasts and interviews and in books, mostly involving cis folks talking to one another where, you know, they'll say like, oh God, you know, with respect to trans people, these poor people, you know, and God, I got in this because, which sounds like saviorism 101, you know, um, and it's like, I don't need that. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I've mm -hmm. seen some shit. Mm -hmm. um, I've lived some shit and, um, mm -hmm. and some really scary stuff. But at the same time, I also, mm -hmm. I've also seen some really beautiful things. And I've experienced a lot of incredible things in my body. And I want that to be part of our experience too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people need hope. They need examples of positivity. Yeah. Hope and some sense that, um, you know, I think something that trauma does for us and to us is um, that it takes away our capacity to dream and to imagine futures mm. um, because the past is being brought into the present and, um, and it's there with us. And instead, um, one thing that I want so desperately is for folks to dream with me mm. because i i gosh i i do have hope um i i've i've got to believe that that this is not all that there is and um and that there is that there are things worth fighting for mm. and my pleasure and the pleasure of my siblings and nibblings <laughs> that is worth fighting for. <laughs> What's going on politically in the world right now that might be creating opposition to that fight or to challenges challenges to your work? Oh gosh. Um well, I I think, you know, it's a <laughs> what is I it? I ask as if I don't know, but I I want to hear what's most pressing in your world, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a huge moral panic um that is going on. It's these are not new phenomena. Um, you know, um, they've been with us in, in various, at various points. Usually when there's a lot of other stuff going on that's really big and that we don't really know how to tackle. And so instead we, you know, point at something and we're like, this is what's wrong. This is, um, you know, this is what's wrong with this country. You know, I don't recognize it anymore. Um, and so there have been a lot of attacks on, 
on queer and trans folks in particular, and a lot of violence. Um, you know, uh, the activist and uh, an artist and filmmaker, uh, Tourmaline talks about the trap door of visibility and, you know, and the ways that as we become more visible, which we have been become more visible there, um, you know, we are, are featured in stories more and, and not as much in this kind of like, um, in the classical way that, for ex example, Julia Serrano talks about in Whipping Girl, where she's talking about like the deceitful trans woman and the pitiful trans woman. Mm -hmm. Like these archetypes, these false archetypes, ex like narrative. Exactly. You know, and like the documentary um, Disclosure also mm -hmm. gives like a really mm -hmm. incredible portrait of that, you know, and, and especially like when it got to the 1990s, which is like, I'm I'm 46 years old and and so like you know I grew up with watching The Crying Game and Ace Ventura Pet Detective and oh transphobic oh yeah, yeah. like you know yeah. a lot of those people are like wait what yeah go so watch watch Disclosure if you have Netflix and it'll point mm -hmm. out a ton of stuff in pop culture and history that will be so helpful to our our cis brains yeah yeah mm -hmm. and um and so like what rises to meet that is violence in so many forms. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's physical violence. It's violence that is coming about from the political spheres and, and the legislative spheres. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's been like, like something like 500, 600 anti-trans um, pieces of legislation that have either passed or been introduced in state legislatures all over the United States. It's happening in Canada. It's happening in, in Europe, happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the real issues going on that might be, you know, distractible, the ones that are less exciting or sensationalist is like climate change or infrastructure breakdown. Um, Housing insecurity. <laughs> housing insecurity. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, suicide rates. Self-harm mm -hmm. reports of mm -hmm. children, younger children, depression in children, younger. Off. So, and yet I see people that are close to me by work or let's just say by work because I'm a sex worker. So I work with people that are, that are so very different from me or maybe very similar. It's a spectrum, right? So I see other parents, not too many, but every once in a while, someone I follow will repost something that is transphobic and I... And I try to explain to them why it's false information or playing on another fear of theirs. But like these are people that are mm -hmm. often parents, um, sex workers, maybe they're immigrants themselves. And like they don't see that a dominant culture is implanting an idea that someone who is trans or queer is like a sexual abuser or a child yeah, rapist. A groomer. Like they're playing. Right. They're playing on those fears. And, you know, my poor friends don't understand because they're, you know, your, your fears are like legitimate. Nobody wants their child to be hurt, of course, but it's like, they've just been given bad information and they're just not maybe literate enough or have enough diversity in their friends group to like mm. know trans people that are out to separate the shit. I, but I see it happen and it's very scary even for me. Um, 
Well, and I'll give another example of how this is happening as well. Like, look at the a lot of the coverage um, from the New York Times. I remember, you know, when um, the so-called anti-drag bill was passed in Tennessee, and the New York Times had this article that came out, and they were they were really minimizing the impact of this piece of of legislation because what they were basically doing is they were saying, well, you know, it only has to do with drag performance and it only has to do with explicitly sexual performances or that are done in public in front of children. So like, but that's two different things. Trans is not inherently well, sexual. Ex- exactly. But like, and, and what the, what the New York times and, and I think a lot of, center left folks, um, you know, who, I mean, the, the alt-right folks, I can see them coming a mile away. Like I know where they're coming from. The people who really scare me are the center left folks who are minimizing stuff or just kind of like explaining away, Mm. oh, it can't possibly be this bad. Like, because like I take an, Mm. the, you know, anti-drag bill, you know, like, let's look at like from their perspective, I'm in drag. Um, you know, like they get to define mm. what drag is. They get to define what explicitly sexual is. Mm. They get to define what public is and what around children is. They get to define all of that. And it's right. rather cute in a terrifying way for, you know, for us to say, well, you know, it's it, it can't possibly mean that um, that really scary um, meaning, you know, it it has mm. to be something less than that. I was um, uh, driving to a, a kind of rural part of Oregon quite a bit, actually, this month. And recently I was at the coast and I saw a bus load of queers and uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's great. Like trans folks on like a road trip. And then I thought to myself, like, of course, there's like a bunch of them because like you can't go alone. What if like you need to use a gas station bathroom, like any other normal person driving, like, Mm -hmm. is it going to be safe for you? Especially if legislation determines, you know, around children as like any public space, where do you go to the bathroom? Like these laws are not created for safety at all. They're to make people not exist. Yeah. Because bathrooms (sighs) are what, um, another word for them is public accommodations. Hmm. All right, well, we're going to get more into scary legislation and how to make the world a better place and some fun things. We're going to take a break real quick. If you haven't already, look up lucyfielding.com and Instagram is at sexbeyondbinaries. Are you still wanting to open your relationship? Whether you're feeling ready or still terrified, I've got a tip for you. Best-selling author, New York Times and NPR contributor, friend, and former podcast guest, Dr. Julie Hamilton is the expert who helps people open their relationships up without burning things down. Dr. Julie's highly coveted program, The Year of Opening, is for people who are ready for more. To join the waitlist and get first dibs on a one-to-one call with Dr. Jolie at no charge, Sign up for free now at theyearofopening.com.
Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the trans healthcare episode. I am so happy to be speaking with Lucy Fielding. And you can find me and my behind-the-scenes hijinks, what I can share, uh, besides on Instagram or Twitter. Yeah, I post all kinds of funky shit. So that's on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. Okay, so hello, Lucy. Hi. Hi. Still with us, having a great time. Let's do listener questions. Okay, so... Of course, we have to bring up Mira Bellwether mm-hmm. in this episode. We absolutely do. So I was tickled that this was the first question I received in reference to you joining. Mm-hmm. Listener question one, can you explain muffing to me? What's the origin and is it safe? Yeah. So first of all, um, I'm going to speak to, um, you know, nothing is 100% safe and there are risks inherent in everything. I'm also not a medical professional. I've talked to a lot of medical professionals, but I am not one. Um, so what I'm about to say does not constitute medical advice. Um, <laughs> good, good, good. All right. So all of that out of the way. Muffing is basically finger banging somebody with external gonads from the front. And so what does that mean? They're all bodies have uh, these structures called inguinal canals, and they are passages um, from the pelvis into the, um, through the abdominal wall. Can't access those, but they are, they're passages. And for folks who are born with uh, external gonads, those are, the gonads drop through those um, through those canals. And basically where to find them is like, if you, you know, put your thumbs on uh, the front of your, your pelvic bone and, um, and then um, kind of make that triangle of the crotch um, that, that kind of the diagonal pieces, what some refer to as cum gutters, which I just get tickled by. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, uh, those, that is, that is basically the inguinal canals are running parallel to that. And basically muffing involves, and it turns out that these passages, um, that a bunch of nerve endings run through them. So there's a lot of sensation to be had. Um, it's not muscle mm-hmm. tissue. Um, so we're not talking about, there's an, there's an external inguinal ring and an internal inguinal ring. We're not talking about like, with like the anus where there's like an external sphincter and an internal sphincter because sphincters are, are muscles. Um, this is um, really fascial tissue and ligaments and things like that. So um, mm. it stretches, but not as much as like muscular tissue does. Um, and mm-hmm. um, so basically everyone, yeah, sorry, everyone has inguinal canals, right? Absolutely. Everybody does. Okay. Now, so we're, we're talking about people with, you said gonads that are external. So some people call these testicles. If you didn't, I refer to mine as my labia because they're biological homologs, Mm -hmm. but your lips, um, biological homologs. Sorry, I interrupted you. Explain that one real quick to folks who don't know. It's basically that these are structures that, you know, we, we like to think that just because genitals look different, um, that they, um, you know, that they're similar structures. They, 
They come from, for example, the skin of the external gonads, um, you know, is um, for folks with labia, they, that is the tissue that would be, that would be labial tissue. Right. It's like the, the nerve density is like very similar and it's the same. Yeah. Or for example, like there's a glands of a penis, there's a glands of a clitoris. And then, you know, like mm-hmm. basically if you look at, at what a, you know, clitoris looks like, you know, in the internal parts and the external parts, and you line that up to what a penis looks like, the external parts and the internal parts, they look scary the same because they all have the same mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. parts. They're just organized differently, as Emily Nagoski would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is why I also, um, I have found that my sex is better as a queer person yeah. with this kind of awareness. And now we pass this on to you, but I really do encourage you to, you know, with consent and communication, but like I will touch outer labia in the same tickly scratch or caress as I will yeah. with balls, you know, or anyone in between. Like we'll talk about uh, how we label and yeah. name our parts later and options for that. But usually I fuck queer people uh, mm-hmm. and cis men. <laughs> so I'm mm-hmm. dealing with all kinds of names for things, uh, but lots of balls. Um and so, yeah, you can really think of these of these body parts like similar to yeah. each other more so than different. And I think that teaches compassion and awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, um, I, I love giving uh, a blowjob to to a clitoris or uh, to bottom growth. You know, it's like that can feel good for some folks. Yeah. You know, that movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so so basically muffing mm-hmm. involves you take the external skin of the um, the external gonads and um, and you basically use it as a finger cot and and it's kind of like corkscrew motion that takes mm-hmm. you up and in, into the diagonal of the, you're basically following the skin not the testicle itself not the gonad itself mm-hmm. but the skin you're using that to access the canal you mentioned a very important name, Mirabelle Weather. She coined the term muffing um, mm. in her incredible zine, Fucking Trans Women. Um, and the mm. fact that we are talking about muffing, that I am doing muffing workshops, it wouldn't be a thing without her. Um, you know, she taught me through that zine how, how to, mm. um, you know, really be excited about exploring my body erotically and um and that is the same for so many um so many folks the practice of muffing actually that that mm-hmm. what it describes it has been around for hundreds if not thousands of years in terms of um you know as part of a certain genital massage practices um particularly in asia and and so uh there are um there are traditions that oh. that go back hundreds and hundreds of years um huh. that are pleasure focused so they didn't call it muffing um but yeah. that's basically what they're doing and mira bellwether did pass last uh christmas morning uh, yes December 25th yeah 2022 and you can still buy copies of uh fucking trans women and i i really um encourage folks to do that um it goes it goes to her family um, you know, like, um, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
this is not a book you want to pirate. Mm-hmm. I'm looking up. Okay, well, I will find it and I'll put it in the notes. We want people to pay for it. Pay for your porn, pay for your zines. Yes, pay for your sex ed. Uh, some, some porn and sex ed, I'm a firm believer, should be free or else some people would never find it or access it at all. So that's why absolutely podcast is free, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Listener question two. What are any pros or cons of minors going on hormones or physically, chemically altering their bodies? Is there any risk of permanent change that people might regret? And again, you're not a medical doctor, but what do you think? So um, I want to focus first on the word regret because um, I think that 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 really, um, it's where we put all the focus, you know, that that these are, um, which is not true, that that um, particularly when we're talking about kids, um, you know, and trans youth, um, we're not talking about, um, irreversible, um, treatments. Like, um, surgeons are not giving, um, you know, are, are, are not engaging in top and bottom surgery. Um, you know, if you're a teenager or, or preteen, that's not happening. Um, you know, they will often, they may do so at like 17, 18, and usually it's more like 18, 19. Um, but, um, and then what is happening is, is like hormones, hormone therapies, what, you know, uh, adults are, are accessing, that's not really being accessed until like age 16, 17. And, you know, when we're talking mm-hmm. about gender affirming care, like, like, we like to lament, you know, how much, um, you know, gender affirming care for adults is gate kept. Let's talk about, you know, for kids, mm-hmm. like, this is not a simple process. And it's not straightforward. And, you know, we're not handing out mm-hmm. hormones like candy. Um, and what is happening typically before um, this is um, puberty blockers, which um, you know some insurances will not even cover, and they they can be horrendously expensive to access. But basically, what they 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 do is they hit pause on on puberty, so that basically it's that you get a little bit more time to decide like, this is what I want, Um, Mm. you know? And I don't know, I like to trust that, um, that youth have the ability to consent to, um, to what is, what happens to their bodies or what their bodies are doing, Um, you know? And it's like something that we're trying to inculcate you know, from very, very early on through books like C is for consent, you know, like we're trying to say in one breath, like, it is really important for like a a child to be able to decide whether or not uh, like an uncle hugs them, you know, and it's not just assumed that, that the uncle gets to hug them, you know, that instead like, okay, we assume that, you know, this, this kid has a stake mm-hmm. in being able to decide that. And so somehow we don't trust that a, that a child doesn't know their body and doesn't know kind of like 
uh, and and I I want to trust that. Um, so, right. What is and what is happening is not irreversible. There are some irreversible things when we get into like um, hormones, um, for example, like with testosterone. If you take it long enough, there's going to be some um, you know dropping of the voice. There may be a development of an Adam's apple. You know, these are things that unless you want to do a tracheal shave, you're not going to get rid of the um, Adam's apple. You know that. But you said that's way less likely that people are engaging. Oh yeah, with yeah hormones. Not prior yeah. to you know like late teens. I see how allowing my child to tell me who they are has given the ability to show me who they are, and I, I agree with you mm-hmm. that we, especially I think a lot of leftists like to claim that they're giving their kids a lot of free will and autonomy, but it's like okay, do you let your son wear pink or do you let your you know. Um, how much do you police what they wear, how they carry themselves, the activities they're interested in? Um, and this could look like, you know, if a teenager is like ir- is irritated by the development of breasts. I don't want breasts. Mm-hmm. So do they have options to communicate this? Do they want to wear a sports bra? Do they want to wear something more like a body safe chest binder? You know, do they want mm-hmm. to do the puberty blockers? It turns out, apparently, I'm sure sure you know this, you know this uh, personally, probably that when people are allowed to be who they are, they're less likely to do self-harm. Indeed, that the research has borne that out over and over again. The more that we are affirmed in our um, in our bodies, the more that we feel yummy in our bodies. Um, and this is all people. This yeah. Is all people. Yeah. Right. There's dudes on steroids or like doing, you know, balding hair replacement stuff. Like, why are the cis heteros allowed to affirm their gender and no one else? <laughs> yeah. You know, or, or like, you know, you know folks, um, you know, are taking some of the same hormones. If, for example, there are conditions like um, um, PCOS, um, you know, that, um, that require, um, or that uh, often involve a an anti-androgen uh, called spironolactone, which is often mm. prescribed as part of hormone therapy for trans folks. Mm. So, like, you know, cis folks are taking these hormones. Like at the same time, like for example, uh, at menopause, a lot of folks are using estrogen creams or testosterone creams and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, you know, trans folks are the only people accessing these these treatments um, and, and medication. Mm-hmm. Or that they deserve to. Right. So I always mm-hmm. like to remind folks, you know, uh, especially cis folks, like, you're already doing a lot of this stuff. You mentioned, like, names for parts. Um, you know, it's like, how many folks with vulvas have very strong opinions about the word <laughs> pussy or the word cunt? Yeah. Yeah. Like I won't call it a cunt, but I'll call it a whatever, or I don't call it a snatch or mine's coochie or whatever. It's like, you get to call it, I guess, whatever you want. Yeah. But it's like when trans folks are involved, we lose our fucking minds and we mm. forget all of that. And so like part of what I want to remind us is that we are doing so many of these things, you know, like rappers are constantly changing their, their visual and uh, (laughs) their visual identities, their names, um, 
um, you know, it's right. like, you know, and we don't bat an eye at that. Um, mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. and that's basically social transition, if you want to think about it that way. Totally. Totally. But, you know, you mentioned the word regret, and that's something that, you know, we, we, we want people to be like, um, absolutely sure all the time. And it's like, mm -hmm. I want to leave room for ambivalence mm -hmm. and ambiguity. And, I, you know, and the fact that like, mm -hmm. um, as my friend Doug Brun Harvey would say, you know, ambivalence is essential to the change process. We need to, you know, be hosting like, these are complex decisions. And I, and mm -hmm. they may involve celebration and they may at the same time involve grief and grief is not the same thing as regret v levels of regret are you know um are are very very low um but like a lot of my clients sometimes will be um like for example i remember a client who was really who had just had uh, top surgery um so removing chest tissue for them and um and they were really really nervous about you know telling me you know like you know this is one of the best decisions i've made for myself and at the same time like sometimes i wish i could just stick them back on like every once in a while like there there's a little there's a bit of grief there not all the time and and it's just that like i've been living with this tissue and now it's no longer there and i'm relieved in so many ways and excited in so many ways but like you know um it's okay for grief to be in there because and grief is complex in and of itself grief doesn't equal sadness mm -hmm. it can also mean acceptance it can also mean um, you know, um, it can also mean some, some form of like moving through mm -hmm. a, a process mm -hmm. that leads to acceptance. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. So pros, pros include, uh, exploring yourself, uh, cons could mm -hmm. be suicide and self-harm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I think about my small pre-baby boobies sometimes too, and I'm like, aw. Wish I could just, I wish I could just touch them again. You know, I wish I could just, just say hi, but I can't. And yeah. now I have these and this works out fine. And, you know, I, I cut a bunch of my hair off too. And sometimes I'm like, I wish I could have long hair again just for like a minute. And then I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> Not the same. Yeah. But yeah, we all, ambulance is totally normal for lots of decisions. I mean, even people like, oh, I like my new car, but I was attached to the old one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so listener question three. Can you explain what microaggressions might look like or mean in the context of transphobia? A coworker in our food service job has mentioned she experiences them, microaggressions, mm -hmm. and I don't know what that means. Yeah. Have you ever worked food service? I have. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I worked um I worked in catering and as a as a um as a prep chef for um for a little bit and uh, yeah I, I people just walk you around yeah no but I learned some great knife skills though <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I'm a domestic goddess so... now in the kitchen <laughs> oh I thought you meant about stabbing people okay well you know that too stab, stab. um so microaggressions yeah so microaggressions 
in in a context of transphobia might um you know be something like misgendering somebody um Ugh. repeatedly repeatedly and after being corrected microaggressions are like it's like death by a thousand cuts you know and it's like you're not like like you're maybe like the fifth person to misgender me today you know like mm -hmm. you don't know that you're the fifth person to do it but you're the fifth person and mm -hmm. and that just kind of like stacks up and so the reason that we talk about microaggressions as as challenging is that they're often you know like really easily dismissed because they're 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 micro they're they're like a paper cut you know to the person mm -hmm. who is um you know, who is dishing out a microaggression, you know, and, and often when somebody points out, oh, that's a microaggression, it's like, oh, but I didn't see it that way. Um, you know, right. Right. It's like your manager is like, oh, don't mind him. He's just probably old and didn't hear you. It's like, no, yeah. he's a transphobe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, so microaggressions in that context, like, it's just like, it's not just one paper cut. It's like 20 paper cuts and paper cuts fucking hurt. Mm -hmm. And also no one likes to be, I mean, I'm sorry, I shouldn't make generalizations. I don't know many people who, especially when they're working, appreciate the general public just commenting on their appearance oh, in any kind of way consistently throughout the, yeah. the shift. Um, but like one of my friends, she's actually the person that recommended that turned me on to you in the first place. Um, she is a barista. She wear she has big eyelashes and wears bold lipstick. And she's obviously femme. And I have been there for it. And luckily, they don't like her boss totally backs her up. And it's like the queerest, safest space ever. So like they don't tolerate shitty customers, and they will tell them off. But that's also kind of rare, especially in like a capitalist transphobic environment, that you have that kind of backup from mm -hmm. your boss or even your peers. But yeah, it's and she'll tell me stuff. She's like, you know, it could be like someone saying, thanks, bro, yeah. or thanks, buddy. And she's like, obviously, I'm not yeah. your bro. It's like when I'm out with one of my partners uh, and, you know, they're agender and, you know, and they come up to our table and they say, oh, um, good afternoon, ladies. Um, what are we having today? You know, and it's like you're jumping to that, you know, and it's like. <laughs> you know and i feel like janet on uh, on the good place not a girl um you know <laughs> you know and that that qualifies as a as a microaggression in in the sense that like talk about body awareness that that kind of first part of our our conversation today you know that you're aware of like this does not feel right mm -hmm. there is a there's a story that's being hung on my body and that doesn't feel good. And, and yet like, it's a small enough thing that like, it would just be like, how much grief do I want to go through to correct, um, correct this person, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and maybe if they do it like aggressively, like 20 times in the mm -hmm. space of an hour, then, then maybe I might say, you know, I, actually, I just want to say that, but Sometimes, like, we don't do that because we just don't want to go 10 rounds with somebody's, you know, like making it about them by saying, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Can you ever forgive me? Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so, like, oh, it's, like, I corrected you. It's fine. 
Like, we're good. Let's move, move on. on. And now you know, so it shouldn't keep happening. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I, I don't want to be taking care of you and taking care of your feelings when I'm the one who has been microaggressed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so someone told me, tell me what you think. But if you misgender someone, instead of saying, I'm sorry, it's nice to say, thank you for correcting me. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah. Um, or yeah, or, or you can say like, oh gosh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, but just don't, don't make a thing out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, I'm sorry, move on. Mm -hmm. Listener question four, can you offer suggestions on how to bring up the subject of how people would like their various body parts referred to? Mm. So my rule of thumb is if somebody is, um, if we're to the point where we're contemplating um, heavy petting, sex, play, like that is a really good time to ask me about my body and my genitals and my parts and what I like them to be called. I think it can be, you know, partly it can be introduced. Are there, you know, in the same way that we would say, like, are there terms that you like to be called? Um, and when we're playing, like, um, you know, do you like, do you like the word um, slut? Do you like the word baby girl? Do you like the word? Are you a good, a good boy? boy or... You know, little one, mm -hmm. whatever, you know, um, we mm -hmm. discuss that. And then, you know, in the same breath, it's like, what do you want to call your parts? These, this is what I refer to mine as. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, if, if I'm about to like, get to sexting with somebody yeah like i want them to know everything there is to know about like um about my parts if and maybe a preceding question might be you know are we um are we engaging in activity that involves like genital touch or um touch of your chest tissue mm-hmm mm-hmm uh, you can also model to people what you like to be called. Like, would you put your fingers yeah, in my front? Hole, absolutely. Please? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, I can't think of one for like a substitute if you don't like the word nipples. Um, but maybe someone has a oh, creative God. one they could share with me. Uh, oh, I mean, some people are like, don't call them, don't call my yeah. chest like boobs or yeah. breasts. Um, yes, call them my bosom, yeah. you know. <laughs> I, I love my, uh, my heaving bosom. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would probably, for me, I would probably ask, what do you like to call your parts? And like, just that's, that's my casual lingo. I think that's how I'd say that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of just like direct and maybe that's like my neurospiciness talking, but like, <laughs> just like, I, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who cannot for the life of me. I mean, it's, it's tragicomic. I cannot, I don't know when somebody is expressing romantic or sexual interest in me unless they're like actually <laughs> tell me. Um, like I have no way of reading those interest cues. Um, yeah. My reader's all messed up. I'm also laughing because it's funny how many neurodivergent or ASD or autistic people um, end up on this show. Not by my design, but it just keeps happening. Mm -hmm. I'm autistic. So I think we find each other. I see you. Yeah. <laughs> I see you. All right. We're going to take another break. Go see lucyfielding.com on Instagram at sexbeyondbinaries. Find me on Instagram. I am very repressed 
and depressed on that app at stripper writer go to lstanger.com where you can find my pornography and my teachings we'll be right back Unlike other silicone lubricants, Kimono Swirl Silicone Lubricant is a thick, luxurious formula that makes every intimate act more sensual. Formulated with 35 years of German science and engineering, this long-lasting, luxurious lube is velvety smooth, condom-safe, and packaged in a clean, elegant Europump. Make solo or partnered intimacy feel even sexier in all your places and spaces. Splurge on Kimono Swirl Silicone today. Apply promo code 20TalkSwirl on Amazon for 20% off through October 31st. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. We are rounding out the season. We're going to do 25 episodes in this third season of They Talk Sex podcast. And then I need to devote some other time to things like making porn and taking care of poodle and being a parent. Uh, never all at the same time, but you can find me if you haven't already on Twitter or X, whatever it's called now, at L Stanger. Might have to type in the URL because I'm severely shadow banned there as well. This is the <laughs> trans healthcare episode. Our guest is a therapist, sex educator, and writer. Her book is Trans Sex, Clinical Approaches to Trans Sexualities and Erotic Embodiments, Lucy Fielding. All right. So what do you know about Project 2025? This was just shown to me by a friend. She is trans. Um, of course, like people that are more affected by things. Of course, you guys know stuff like before cis people. <laughs> Again, my barista friend said this to me like a year ago. She's like, every time the straights are finding out about like art or like news, like the gays have been on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's yeah. it's like, you know, um, it's like sex workers were warning about FOSTA-SESTA yeah. years before it got passed, you know. Right. It's like, mm -hmm. 2017, um, I've been bitching and mm -hmm. trying to ring the bells. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Project 2025. Oof. Um, so it's basically the playbook um, that uh, folks on the right are um, are going to use. They're they're making it very very clear where their next moves are in terms mm -hmm. of um, you know, what their platform is going to be. It doesn't just cover um, sex, sexualities, and gender, but it it. Um, it covers a lot of stuff, um, but um, but it does have a lot on um, on gender and um, and really defining um, you know and somebody at um, a speaker at CPAC uh, the CPAC uh, conference uh, this, this year mm -hmm. you know was very clear about just like you know um, we want to erase trans folks from public life. Um, mm. you know, and that's what project 2025 aims to do. Uh, right. And when we say the far right, uh, this is, so the heritage foundation is a conservative mm -hmm. think tank founded during the Nixon presidency. So this is a 920 page written strategy, um, that would define trans people's existence as mm -hmm. pornography. 
So the article I'm looking at is Republican Presidential Project 2025 Plans to Define Trans People as Pornographic, uh, written by Amelia Hansford. There's tweets from someone called Ari Drennan, mm-hmm. who posted about this September 7th. Uh, do you know who this person is? Yeah. Yeah. No. Is she problematic? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Noted. Uh, <laughs> that could be in the bonus episode. We talked about that. The blueprint this person Drennan clarified is not actually about trans porn, but conflates propagation of transgender ideology with pedophile. Mm-hmm. So it would conflate. Let's see. GOP legislatures have already used the conflation to ban drag performances. You were talking about this earlier mm-hmm. across the U.S. and at least 45 bills banning family friendly drag or public LGBTQ plus expression have been filed in the U.S., seven of which have passed. Um, so let's see. I'm looking and at there's a go ahead. One of the big types of legislation that that they're really going through and um the state i presently live in virginia is is one of the models for that um Mm. is so-called parental choice um and yeah explain so um these were they're very underhanded ways of saying like well, you know what the the real question of choice is? It's like parents need to have input into like what our children are being taught. Um, you know, and so like uh, an example of this is the so-called don't say gay bill um, that premiered in Florida. Um, in, in Virginia, like the current governor, he and, and he has very national aspirations. You know, he likes to sound like a very reasonable um, human, but, um, you know, um, and I, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, impugn the guy. I'm sure, you know, he would be very pleasant to talk to. I don't know, whatever. Um, but like, mm-hmm. um, you know, but uh, he, he was really elected on a platform of parental choice and particularly whether it's a, uh, what the right calls CRT, critical race theory. So anything based for them, it's anything having to do with like mm-hmm. racism, white supremacy, identity politics, um, teaching intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, accurate history. Shit. Accurate history, um, colonialism. It also covers, you know, things uh, really about like sex education. And, and it's this idea of like, what do... Um, and you know giving it's supposed to be empowering parents but it's like who's you know like who's being empowered and who is who is um you know which parents and some of these things are really astroturfed is this similar to like parents having the right to know like if the teacher suspects the kid is gay like I saw some bill I can't remember proposed where the teacher has to would be a mandated reporter, like mm-hmm. has to tell the parents that the kid is gay within like six months. Yes. Oh yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's all about couching it in this language of parents have a right to know like what is being taught to their children, and there's a and I mean. We mentioned FOSTA SESTA. I mean, you know, it's like the blueprint is is always like you you couch it in rhetoric that like 
that seems like indisputable, you know, like, Mm -hmm. of course you want to, you know, um, you want to address human trafficking, you know, of course you want to do this. Mm -hmm. Of course you want parents to have input into, um, you know, education, you know, but, but that's not the way. And, and, you know, it's like, I, I read FOSTA SESTA and it's like, I've, I've read it and it's, it's, I, I used to work in DC and, and, um, you know, and actually the hmm. part of the Communications Decency Act that uh, FOSTA SESTA got, um, wow. I was, um, I was, you know, an aide um, back in the early 2000s. And we were like looking wow. at, at, um, at that part of that, that would eventually get targeted by wow. FOSTA SESTA. Wow. Okay. So project 2025. So we have Mm -hmm. an eye on that folks. Um, this is not conspiracy theory shit. This is real stuff that's actually happening. And it's really terrifying. Uh, legitimately so. And by the way, this, this shit has consequences. Like a a year ago, you know, like, um, uh, a number of folks, me included, um, you know, who presented at Philly trans wellness were, you know, like became, you know, caught up in, in, um, you know, the extreme right wing media sphere. And, you know, and like, you know, they're using this heated rhetoric and, you know, calling, calling us names and, and, um, you know, and that I can deal with. What I can't deal with is the fact that like, I get death threats yeah. out of that. Right. Like, right. Yeah. You know, this has like, Stuff is happening. This is not empty rhetoric. No, it's not. Uh, so in happier things, what's a bit yeah. of advice? Because we all need hope. What's a bit of advice you would give to a younger queer, non-binary, or trans person? I think... Continue to imagine and dream and um and know that you are not alone that um you are someone's legacy and one day someone will be your legacy Mm -hmm. and we are in a long sweep of history of people who have fought and and um and and agitated and loved and fucked and and that is beautiful and to locate yourself in that lineage because that is your birthright Mm, do you have anything you're excited about coming up oh god muffing workshops i'm doing muffing workshops i god i i love teaching muffing um (laughs) corkscrew motion yeah got got yeah I, I'd never done that. Yeah, no, I would love to learn. Um, Good to know. Yeah, I, I hope I can do one in Portland at, at some point. Um, yeah. Soon, because, Ooh, that would yeah. Be I would um, it's, yeah, I, I, oof, I love teaching that. Um, I'm working on a, a new book project, um, which I'm really mm. excited about. Um, and um, I'm uh, co-writing with my friend, uh, Tristan Termino and, Oh, yeah, fun. and she has a, a new memoir that just came out. 
I saw it's, that. Yeah. People were really rightfully so singing her praises. Beautiful. I remember first hearing, hearing her name like, yeah, 15 years ago. She's been yeah, for a while. Like, and some first like educational porn, um, you know, on our backs magazine, the village voice. I mean, like the shit that, you know, we, uh, that we take for granted in sex ed that, that that can be traced to something that she had her hands in. It's it's really amazing. And it's it's a deep pleasure mm-hmm. to be um, you know, finishing each other's sentences as we as we write. It's, it's really cute. Um so I'm That's really wonderful. excited about that. And um, you know, in my personal life I'm really excited. Um and I'm mm. yeah. Good. Well, we'll look for the book. Uh, no title yet. Top secret. Top secret at this point. <laughs> we'll look for it. Yeah. Okay. So I ask every guest this, mm-hmm. Lucy Fielding, do you have any sex tips for our audience? Oh, yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, it's sex is not about technique. It's about an energy and about intention. Mm. And what's more important than what you're doing, it's it's the how you were approaching it. Like, how do you want to feel as you're doing it? How do you want to feel at the end mm-hmm. of it? You know, um, like um, I, I give the example of like spanking. I'm an impact top, and you know, and um, you know, it's like somebody asks me, you know, will you spank me? And it's like, well, you're not giving me much information. Of- uh, yeah, what kind yeah. of spank do you like, want? <laughs> you know, what kind of intensity? How do you want to feel? How do I want to feel when I am spanking somebody? So I really, I really, um, my my friend Princess Callie uh, talks about the Colonel Kink, you know, the goal feeling of play, and I really love, um, you know, really recommending that folks think about that. That's my sex tip. Is you know and. Um, if I can add a second one, it's that our bodies are polymorphously mm-hmm. perverse playgrounds of wonder. There are so many ways to experience pleasure in our bodies, and they don't just have to pass through our chest tissue and our genitals. If you if you want it to, that's great, um, but it doesn't have to. And, um, you know, throw out the scripts, fuck around and find out. <laughs> you heard it from Lucy Fielding, fuck around and find out on the trans healthcare episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This has been a fun conversation. It really was, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate or review this episode. Check out Lucy's book, Trans Sex, Clinical Approaches to Trans Sexualities and Erotic Embodiments. And then follow her at Sex Beyond Binaries on Instagram or LucyFielding.com. Until next time.